Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're wrapping up our month of breakfast bakes with a review of our savory morning treats. We'll also introduce a tried-and-true favorite, coffee cake. And we'll share our secrets for entering local and national baking contests. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, one thing I love about doing this show, and there are so many things, but I everywhere I turn, I seem to find content for our show. <laughs> and as is very well established by now, I'm a huge magazine and print journalism lover. And I just found some clips I wanted to share in this month of Breakfast Bakes um, that really, really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, The first is from the February issue of Good Housekeeping Magazine, and it is a bacon and Gruyere breakfast pie. Mm. So remember how we talked about laminated dough when we were doing our um, Quan Queen Queen Amon? Yes. This uses puff pastry, which also falls into that category, and it's really pretty simple. You roll out a sheet of puff pastry. Now, you could, of course, make that yourself or do as I do and buy the Pepperidge Farm version from the freezer section, (laughs) as I will do as well. No judgment. You roll that out, and then you put on a a bit. You kind of pre-bake it, and then do a sour cream and Gruyere cheese mixture. Spread that out. Then you kind of make some little wells and crack some eggs and put some bacon and a sprinkling of thyme, and then you bake it for just about another 12 minutes. So that sounds really good to me and real easy. Um, You can just cut it into wedges. You've got your whole meal kind of there in one go, almost like a pizza in a way, but they're calling it a breakfast pie. So are the eggs scrambled or you're cracking them whole into the well? You crack them whole and then you would cook them as long as you – know, I like a runny yolk, but if you wanted a harder yolk, you could just continue to cook it until it was more your consistency. Oh, I so, love this idea. Yeah, it's really pretty too because kind of dotted throughout the sections of the puff pastry, then mm-hmm. you have the um, the egg. So mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. a nice a nice breakfast pie there. Another one is from the March – or sorry, the April issue of Red Book Magazine. And I know from our Facebook that – Banana bread is a huge preheater favorite. Everybody's yes. got their recipe and their their love of banana bread. So this was a banana bread French toast, gilding the lily quite a bit. So you would just use your version of your favorite banana bread, but then as you do for French toast, coat it in the egg and then fry it up in the skillet. It looks oh wow, what a great idea! Pretty good. Not that I've ever had any banana bread that was on the verge of going stale, but this no. could be a good rescue for that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've never had a problem. No, absolutely. And then the final thing was was a kind of an interesting one. Uh, it was from the food section of the Seattle Times recently. And Andrea, have you noticed at all this trend in in eating, but also in like beauty products, which is um, charcoal? Eating okay. charcoal. So I had not seen this at all until about a week ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's. I think it's thanks, as most trends are, to Gwyneth Paltrow and her Goop <laughs> website. <laughs> So thanks, Gwenny. Um, but the the front of the food section had a, 
a jet black waffle and mm-hmm. it is a charcoal waffle yeah. and i guess that the kind of you know quick and dirty definition of what this is supposed to do for you is kind of like draw out impurities or you know detoxing in in some way is really really big and so this charcoal is supposed to help with your digestion and all this other stuff but i think what it really does is make for a very arresting visual right like a black waffle and so i just thought it was really intriguing um apparently it does not taste like anything but a waffle but the okay um, it's called the charcoal waffle and it's from a chef eric johnson at the restaurant stateside and you're just putting this um activated charcoal powder which you can find online amazon or other um specialty food stores and uh if you really just kind of want to shock yourself awake maybe make charcoal (laughs) black waffle <laughs> or you know frighten your guest into thinking you've burned their breakfast and yes. then or and maybe then... halloween time i mean <laughs> there's so many applications but i thought that was just really intriguing and you know things just constantly pop out to me um as I as I go through my daily life that I think, oh, I got to talk about that. So those yeah. were just three I wanted to highlight during Breakfast Bakes Month. And um, hey, listeners, oh, that's if, great. if you've done any um, cooking or anything with this uh, activated charcoal, I'd love to know what your reasoning was and then how it how it tastes. That's most important to me usually. Yeah, as a general rule, I don't follow Gwyneth Paltrow for um, cooking or food advice. (laughs) Just lifestyle, right, Andrea? (laughs) Right, just for a $300 pillow. Um, But yeah, I don't don't think Gwenny's sitting down and eating waffles the way I eat waffles. I mean, perhaps she is having a bite and then, you know, that that charcoal is doing some cleansing action for her. Um, But, you know, it might be something worth trying. I don't know, just for for a visual. It could be fun. Yeah, it's really strange looking for sure mm-hmm. yeah okay so right. three three to try while it's still breakfast bakes month here folks all right well on to reviewing our breakfast bake items which did not contain activated charcoal but <laughs> rather a more more traditional flour butter type of thing um, we went with the savories for this week so we're going to talk about the yogurt biscuits from mark Bittman and the jalapeno cheddar scones from smitten kitchen so stefan what did you think about the yogurt biscuits I loved these yogurt biscuits, and I thought they came together very easily. I always have whole milk Greek yogurt in my fridge. I like the Chobani whole milk yogurt, and I've been delighted to see this turn of affairs, which says now it's perfectly healthy and great for you to be having whole fat milk products. So right. I, I fully embrace that that research. And um, yeah, they came together very quickly. They were so light, so fluffy. We had talked last episode about, you know, when we might eat these uh, these things, even though we're, we're putting them under the category of breakfast, that they would be delicious at any time. And they sure were. I loved them with butter and jam. I think I made them kind of in the late afternoon one day and had them with butter and jam. They were delightful. Um, yeah, super easy, super straightforward. And I, I really liked them. They'd also be great just with like a biscuits and gravy if you wanted to do them, mm. take them in a more savory way. I thought they were just a really good um, canvas for however you wanted to go. Yeah, I did too. I um, thought the amount of baking powder was a little bit surprising. So three teaspoons of baking powder. But once I saw the biscuits rise, I thought, oh, okay, well, there you go. (laughs) That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did really enjoy that. Um, 
I didn't use Greek yogurt. I had it in my refrigerator, but I was thinking to myself that it might be a little too thick. And the recipe didn't specify what type of yogurt to use. So I also have another yogurt that I typically keep in my fridge. It's called Stonyfield Farms. It's also whole milk. It's organic, but it's a runny one. Yes. So, I mean, you can pour it from the container. And that's the one that I use. I just thought that would be a little bit easier as far as kind of mixing in. And I've always traditionally made my biscuits with buttermilk. So that to me was the closest to buttermilk. Um, in my mind. Yeah, good point. I also had a note that, you know, the yogurt measurement is seven eighths of a cup. That's a pretty unusual measurement. You're not running across that one all the time. I don't have a seven eighths cup measure. So what I did there was I measured one cup of yogurt and I do have a one eighth cup. So then I took out one eighth. Well, I did something similar. I measured one cup and then I poured and I decided that what was stuck behind in the cup was one eighth. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and but so here, I, yes. I didn't scrape it out as I would normally if I was trying to get a whole cup. Yeah, good point. But here it's easier to take away than it is to yeah. be, you know, I mm-hmm. thought, should I do like seven times my one eighth cup? That sounds kind of tedious. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then I use my left leftover plugra butter here. Just um, I had some from the Queen Amon leftover, mm-hmm. and uh, that certainly never helps. That's a high butter fat content. Um, yeah, I also use my Kerrygold on this one because again, there's not a lot of ingredients. It's just flour and salt and baking powder and baking soda, butter and yogurt. So I just thought, well, I want to use the best butter that I have. Um, yeah. I I also made these as kind of a mid afternoon snack. Mm-hmm. So when it came out of the oven, it's so funny. You know, I pick these because I've mentioned before I don't like sweet things in the morning. So in my mind, this was kind of a savory thing. But what did I do but put strawberry jam on it? Yeah. (laughs) And it tasted really good. It does. Um, And then my daughter wanted it without the jam. She just likes the plain biscuits, and um, she wanted a little more butter on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so I did did do that, and she absolutely loved it. And I found that um, these are definitely best fresh warm out of the oven, but they also heated up nicely the next day. I popped them into the oven and did a reheat at a low heat for about, you know, five, 10 minutes. And they were also good the second day. I did that exact thing. And my addition to that would be um, when I rewarmed them, that's when I put on the little bit of melted butter. So it, it kind of helped to make them a little softer again. Also, oh, I thought, okay. Yeah. Okay. So one clarifying question I have for you, Andrea, um, in step three, He says, use a spoon to add in the yogurt and stir until the dough forms a ball. My question to you is, are you still working in the food processor bowl at that point or did you dump it into another bowl? So I dumped it into another bowl. Okay, so did I. Okay. um, yeah, because I I had to lift the dough out to get the blade out yes. uh, because I wasn't going to try and stir it with the blade in there because I, that just didn't make sense to me. So I did um, turn it out into another bowl, which I thought to myself, I'm glad you're asking because I did think to myself like this sort of feels like an unnecessary second step, but I couldn't figure out how else to do it. Yeah, it just wasn't clear. He doesn't say mm-hmm. like dump this mixture into another bowl. So right. I, that's what I did because again, I, I agree. It felt weird to try to be stirring around that blade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So and, okay. then did, and did you use a biscuit cutter? I did. I did use my round biscuit cutter, which I think mine is from my grandma, and I think Uh it might be smaller than maybe a traditional biscuit cutter is today. Mm -hmm. So I got a few more than the recipe 
had had said I would, which was fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if I did this again, I might I might go for bigger but fewer. Yeah, mine is pretty big, and I got twelve biscuits okay. out okay. of this. So I did six on each cookie sheet. Um, and I thought it would be really nice. I didn't do this, but I thought, oh, if you were making biscuits to use with like, um, you know, like your leftover Easter ham or something like that, I thought this would have been a really nice size and shape for that. I agree. And again, I think you can take this biscuit in any direction you want. That w- That's what makes it such a great recipe. Yeah. And for me, I always have yogurt in my fridge. I rarely have buttermilk. So I was really happy to have um, a replacement for buttermilk or heavy cream that you sometimes see. Um, I just thought that was kind of nice. And I did like it added a little bit of kind of tang or bitterness. I just I thought that was a nice combination. I agree. I agree. There was a certain tanginess that I attributed fully to the yogurt here that I really liked. Well, on to our jalapeno cheddar scones. So this is a recipe from Smitten Kitchen. Um, She has a wonderful food blog. I believe her name is Deb Perlman. I always really enjoy her writing as well as her recipes. And, um, you know, oddly enough, I'm not a huge scone fan. They always feel a little bit dry to me. Yeah, a little crumbly. Um, Yeah. And so um, I like the idea of them. But I've noticed that when I eat them, I often feel like I want to put something more on them, like more butter or more jam or something along those lines. So I was kind of excited about the fact that this had the cheddar in it because I felt like that would make it a little bit moister. Andrea, I loved these scones (laughs) so much. It was so hard. You and I try not to talk about um, how we feel about the recipe until we get on air with each other. And... I just think I let my my cards show because I texted you the picture and I said, these aren't going to last till morning. Right. <laughs> well, and we did the same thing. We made them in the evening. So yep. I, ha- I had mentioned last week that I thought, oh, those might be good with chili or something. And sure enough, I ended up making them, oddly enough, at like 9 o'clock at night one night because that's just when it worked out. And I remember thinking, well, I'm going to make these and then I'll eat one in the morning. Well, they came out of the oven, you know, piping hot. Oh. And of course, I had to have one right then. And so did my husband. And it was so good, hot out of the oven. I'm really glad I tried it right then. Um, yes, I just note that on my recipe, not to, you know, overuse a trend, but all I have said is OMG at the top. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. And I did use two full jalapeno peppers. And her recipe says small, and I would say mine were not small. I used regular, nice sized jalapenos. Um, both of them I thought were very fragrant and I think spicy. I just decided to go for it because I like spice. My husband likes spice. And I just thought, you know, this is a jalapeno. That's the headliner in the recipe. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, I didn't use the seeds. So I do still try to make sure when I dice up my jalapeno that I don't have the seeds in it. One question I had for you, she diced her cheddar cheese, which I found odd. I felt like it should have been shredded. I found that odd, too, but I really liked how it baked up. I did dice it. And so did you shred? No, I I, I wanted to stay true to the recipe. Okay. So I, I did dice it. And I, I liked the way it baked up in terms of the internal part of the scone, but it's almost like it oozed out and formed a lace pattern on the edges that I had to sort of chip away, which was fine. Um, it almost made like these little cheese crisps, and, and yeah. they were really good. Yes. 
But yeah. I, I thought, well, maybe if I had shredded it, then I wouldn't have had that problem. Yeah, I, I was intrigued by that dicing as well, but then I really liked it. And I liked, and so did my family, the little cheese crispies that formed mm-hmm. also. And I thought it was, if they would have burned, then it would have been a problem, but they didn't. They just melted and right. got crispy. And so they were they were just a fun thing about this scone also. Um, one thing in the instructions, though, to clarify, um, she says, you. For, so first you saute up your diced jalapeno, which is a good mm-hmm. thing you want to do because otherwise you're like biting into raw jalapeno, right. which would not be great. But then she says, once that's cool, you put it in a small bowl with the cheddar cheese and coat them with one tablespoon of flour. Mm-hmm. I thought trying to coat the peppers and the cheese with the flour at the same time would be awkward. So I coated the jalapeno with the flour and then added in my diced cheese. And it was fine. I'm, I'm not sure if something else would have happened if I would have, you know, coated them all together. But um, yeah, I coated them all together and I okay. didn't. I didn't notice a problem. Okay. I mean, okay. I think it's, yeah, probably just to keep it from coming in as you mix it in into one big clump. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I do, which is just a practice that I do when making something like a scone or a biscuit and you're working in butter, is I use my clean hands. I, I just find that works mm-hmm. better than using, um, you know, she says you could use a pastry blender or a fork or two knives. I just find that really clunky. I just make sure my hands, you know, I always wash them before I start baking. I'll just do an, another wash at that point. And I just go mm-hmm. for it. Um, and and that works for me. So, well, I um, pulled out my pastry blender. I'll have to post a photo of this because I did manage to capture right after I had this little incident. My pastry blender is one I picked up from a thrift shop. And I have no idea how old it is. You know, it's got the really old wooden handle. And you can tell it's been used. And all the tines are kind of warped. And I started going to town on it with my pastry blender. And it exploded. So, oh, no. <laughs> One end of it just flung <laughs> off. And so all the butter and flour just flew up in the air and it all exploded all over the counter. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So then I had to kind of scrape that off the counter back into the bowl. And I mean, all was well. But as I was doing all that, I thought to myself, I should have just used my hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, your poor little antique. There. Well, this is, a, this is a good reason to go to go thrift shopping again then. Well, and that's something you can always find in a yes. baking section is yes. a, a pastry cutter. So, And I like using a pastry cutter. I know some people um, don't like it. The the new ones that they make, I think they're OXO brand, oh, they yeah. actually are quite sharp. And so I find those much more effective than the old-fashioned ones that are more just like a piece of wire. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I like the old-fashioned ones. Yeah. And the other thing you can use them for is if you make egg salad. I dearly love egg salad. They're really good for mashing up egg, too. Oh, so idea. you can use them for yeah. other other things. Um, huh. Anyway, the last thing that I did on this recipe was just to gild the lily a bit. And I made a honey butter to put on these jalapeno cheddar scones. Oh. I recommend. <laughs> so, Fancy. Um, it's pretty easy. You know, you just take some um, softened butter, mix in some honey to your taste, and uh, I thought that was really nice contrast. There's a restaurant here in Seattle we like to go to as a family, and it's called Bix. And the thing that I always order at Bix for my dinner is a very small side salad, and then I order their cornbread. And one order of cornbread is, I kid you not, like the size of a nine by nine inch pan. And it's a jalapeno cornbread. And they serve it with this just enormous dollop of honey butter on top. So that's immediately what I thought of. And I thought that was, um, I thought that was really nice. But these scones did not last. My husband and my daughter and I were just like, 
you know, crowded around the oven, trying not to burn our mouths as we're <laughs> eating them and slathering on this butter. And these these were so good. So question on the honey butter. Is that something you make? And is there any trick to it other than honey and butter? That's what I do. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right. Yep. And um, you could speed it up. You have to kind of think ahead because you want your butter to be soft. Okay. So if you don't have any soft butter, you know, you got to pull that out. But nope, then, you know, I probably did like mm, four, three or four tablespoons of butter and then maybe a tablespoon to start of honey. Just, okay. Just mix it up. And you have to be a little bit um, vigorous because the honey doesn't want to blend right away. Okay. But then it will. And, you know, if you want it sweeter, add more honey. If you don't like it, if you just want to touch a honey, back off. But that's okay. kind of the proportions that work for me. And you can use that for anything. You know, I still have some in the in the fridge because it has outlasted the scones. Um but yeah, it's a really nice contrast to the um the spice, I think. Well, that reminds me someone once gave me a gift of a honey orange butter. And so, I think it was, you know, they had done what you did but then also added in a little bit of orange zest. Yes, that would and be good. That stuff was so good. I was just looking for items to spread it on, you know, right. so that I could eat it. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a dangerous thing to have in the house. But I agree. It would be really good. Really good. So these recipes are going to be in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 24, up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. And we'll also have them up on our Pinterest pages. And would love to know if you've tried them and what you thought. And, um, yeah. Yeah, we'd love, love to both. Love to see your biscuits and scones, and we hope that you guys had um, as much fun with them and enjoyed them as much as we did. Absolutely. So, Andrea, I'm sure that you know it was recently National Coffee Cake Day. Yes, yes, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Happy to celebrate. Always a reason to celebrate, isn't there? So this week, we're going to talk about coffee cake. We're not going to review this next week because we'll be on to another theme, but did want to give you some options for coffee cake. Listener Amy had actually posted a coffee cake recipe that had been in her family for several yes. years. Um, so that's up on our Facebook page right now. She was kind enough to to take a photo of her old recipe card and put that up there. Um, years ago, my husband and I ordered a coffee cake from a mail order company in Ann Arbor, Michigan called Zingerman's. And I think Zingerman's is still going strong. If we have any they listeners... Are. Okay. Yep. And they had a divine sour cream coffee cake. They had like a chocolate coffee cake and then a sour cream. Mm -hmm. And I am I kid you not when I say we would pay like $40 for this tiny coffee cake and then another 40 in like cross-country shipping right. charges. Yeah. And we'd think we were getting a good deal. So yeah. 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 Um, so when I ran across this recipe um, from Barefoot Contessa, Ina Garten, her sour cream coffee cake, it is the closest I've ever gotten to replicating that Zingerman's coffee cake. Oh, so okay. mm -hmm. that's why I love it so much. And it's from her uh, Barefoot Parties recipe uh, cookbook, okay. which has been mm -hmm. around forever. I'm sure you can find this easily up on her website or the um, Food Channel uh, website as well. And it's a pretty straightforward um, sour cream coffee cake. I like a coffee cake that has like that streusel or something going on in the middle. So when you're mm -hmm. making it, you put the batter, then you put a layer of something, and then you put another um, layer of batter on top. Yeah. And this this does that. Um, she makes it – she calls for a tube pan, um, which back in our episode about the pumpkin bunt back, back in October or November yeah. – we had, we had discussed the difference between a tube and a bunt, and a tube has like a flat sides. But right, I'm here to tell sides. you, yes, 
But I'm here to tell you I've made this coffee cake in a bent pan. It's worked just fine. So Okay. I, I'm um, sure with a judicious spray of Baker's Joy. I know. Oh, yeah. Baker's Joy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially since you're putting sugar in this item, so you would not want it to stick to your pan. Yeah, that's um, really true. I had a really good coffee cake at a brunch recently, and I have always had coffee cake either in the tube pan or the bunt pan. So yep. e- whether I've made it or it's been served to me, it's always been that, you know, that bunt slice. And that's a fairly big piece. And um, the person who brought this coffee cake to the brunch made it in a um, eight by eight pan. Okay. And she just cut little squares. And it was so nice because, you know, we had some more traditional brunch type things. There was an egg casserole. There was fresh fruit. Someone had made a, another salad. And so that nice little square of coffee cake on the side was, I just thought, really perfect um, because it was almost like a little dessert with your brunch, but it wasn't, you know, so big that you felt like, oh, I can't really have this with the other things. I have to pick one or the other. Right. One of the first things that I ever learned to make was the coffee cake recipe from the back of the Bisquick box. Are you oh, familiar yeah. with that yeah. one? Yeah. And yeah. that's in a square mm-hmm. pan. Yeah. 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 Well, and I don't know about you, but I remember watching TV shows like I'm thinking, you know, Lucy and Ethel or that sort of thing where um, I feel like coffee cake was something that women made and then they would invite their friends over and they would come over for a cup of coffee and a slice of cake in the afternoon. So coffee cake for me is very nostalgic because it reminds me of this, um, you know, time when people actually had time to sit down and have a cup of coffee and a slice of cake. Mm, We should bring that back. I know. (laughs) I'm I'm trying. <laughs> I know. Yes, the whole point of this podcast is we're trying, right? Yes, um, I love that, and um, I think coffee cake too is one of those things that people have a lot of variations, and it can be a family recipe. You know, obviously, oh, yeah. um, Amy has has shown us hers, and um, so listeners, if you have other coffee cake recipes that that are special to you and want to share, that would be great. We'll throw a link to the Barefoot Contessa's uh, sour cream coffee cake up on our show notes and on our Pinterest page, and. Um, hope you have fun celebrating Coffee Cake Day uh, and, and then the end of our breakfast bakes with us. Yes, we can't wait to see your coffee cake contributions. It'll be really fun to see if your families have anything you especially enjoy. We're going to move on to the topic of winning, winning, winning. Uh, <laughs> We're winners, <laughs> otherwise known as baking contests. So uh, Stefan and I obviously really enjoy reading about baking. And as she mentioned, it seems like every time we turn around these days, there's content for our podcast. And one of those things that's been jumping out at me is how many cooking contests there are and pie contest and cake contest. And um, one that I saw recently that I thought would be really fun, but I just personally couldn't work it into my schedule, is the American Pie Council has their annual pie competition. It's in Orlando, Florida in May. And there is an amateur division. So I just thought it was really great, um, you know, that people who love to bake and want to try their hand at winning something, I guarantee you if you go to Google and you type in, you know, pie contest or cake contest or baking contest, you will come up with something in your community that you can participate in. Yeah. And I mean, we featured the winner of that amateur contest when we did our Biscoff pie. That was the right. pie, council, pie Council winner. And I think, Andrea, you had mentioned when we were talking about that pie that 
the winner had tried for several years and had kind of won in other categories or had won maybe like a third place or a second place. And she kept at it until then her her big money grand prize winner with with the Biscoff pie. Yes. And I really enjoyed reading the tips from winners. Um, One thing that resonated with me is uh, almost everyone who wrote an article about how to win a pie contest said you have to focus on your ingredients. And and this wasn't specific to pie, but, you know, for any kind of baking contest. So, you know, if you can get fresh fruit from the farmer's market, if you can use the highest quality butter, you know, those sort of things um, really make a difference because, you know, you're not there to serve the item to the judges. You know, you can't speak to this is my special family recipe or this is why I did this. I mean, the the item has to stand on its own. Yeah, speak for itself. Yeah. Yeah. You really want to use the best possible quality ingredients. The other thing that I thought was interesting is um, multiple people said, don't worry so much about how it looks. Um, And the rule was, if you bake it, you take it. So uh, several people (laughs) said, you know, I made this item and it didn't turn out the way I thought it would, but I took it anyway and I won for prize or I won grand prize. So a lot of times they said what speaks to judges is um, some sort of, again, a nostalgia, a personal memory, just some sort of um, flavor combination for those particular judges that works for them. And so don't, you know, second guess yourself and say, this isn't beautiful enough. It doesn't look like a Pinterest pie. Go ahead and enter it. And you never know what's going to speak to those particular judges on that day. And I think the other many contests, of course, ask you to make something with their specific product, whether it's, you know, a certain kind of a nut or a certain kind Mm -hmm. of a a flower or or what have you. Um, And I think looking for ways to do that in an original format is is important too. something that um, folks haven't thought of. Like that Biscoff pie is a good idea um, example of that, that, oh, I like this stuff, but I'd never thought of putting it in a pie. Um, Being original is um, important as well. Yeah. Um, I think, too, with that pie, we noticed um, she used frosting, and she called it frosting. And so, again, that's different. You know, you go, what? Frosting on a pie? I haven't heard of that before. Yeah, and so anything you can do to make those judges, who I'm assuming, have to just read through the recipes first – for them to stop and go, hey, wait a second, that's going to be to your benefit. Yeah. And some of the articles that I read said that by the time a judge has finished tasting, they've typically had anywhere between 50 and 60 bites, which is usually at least one pie, if not more. So you think about, you know, as they start to get toward the end, I think this is why, you know, the other advice that I've heard about quirky wins, I think that's why this sometimes holds true is, you know, if they try 10 different apple pies, um, it's sort of hard to distinguish after they've had that much. So, you know, if you're the person doing something a little bit different, um, sometimes that can be a fun way to stand out to the judges. Now, Andrea, you and I are both contest winners. Yes. Uh-huh. We're both winners. Yes. Yeah, we're winners. Um, I'm a winner on a much smaller scale than you are, but I am the proud winner of the Eastside Urban Winter Squash Pie Competition, uh, Fall 2015. Woo-hoo. And 
Um, you know, I thought this was really fun. This was our local uh, feed store slash garden store, and they decided to have a pie contest. And I thought it was so much fun that they restricted it to winter squash. So I went over to our co-op, and I found this really neat-looking squash called Potamaron. It was mm. like P-O-T-I-M-A-R-R-O-N. And it's a French squash. And I have only ever made pumpkin pie by opening up the can of Libby's Pie Fill. Yeah. Um, And so I had read things about making pumpkin pie from actual pumpkins, I think on Martha Stewart. And what I noticed in the comments is a lot of people saying, yeah, I did all this wasn't wasn't worth it. Stick with the Libby's. So um, I think one of the problems is a lot of times, depending on what type of pumpkin you buy, they can get really watery. Yes. And so with this particular squash, this Potamaran, it was a very meaty squash. And I made sure I drained it really well so it wasn't too liquidy. And I think um, the fact that it was a local squash from a local farm is kind of what really helped. And then the other comment from the judge was just that the crust was fabulous. So, you know, I did, I did make my own crust, obviously. Um, although I don't know that that was a requirement, but I do think that is typically a requirement that you're not going to use a, you know, a pre-purchased crust in a contest. And I think you did exactly what we've been talking about, right? You used a squash that was a little more unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many people might have just reached for, you know, pumpkin or butternut or something that was, was mm-hmm. um, and so making it your own and putting a spin on it. Yeah, so, so that was yeah. pretty exciting. I got the call from the store owner, yeah. and she let me know that I had won, and I had won a $75 gift certificate to the store, which was so much fun. Like, I didn't even think about the prize. I just wanted the glory. Nice. <laughs> well, I was thinking about the prize when I entered mine. Um so I won the 1997 Better Homes and Gardens Reader Recipe category in their December issue of the magazine. And this was a long-running contest that this magazine wow. did. And I always read the winners, and I, I I still make several winners from years gone by in very different categories. And so every month they would um, ask for two categories of things, and mine was holiday bread. Okay. And one thing I had noticed as an avid reader of Better Homes and Gardens was that they had recently bumped up the prize money. And to my mind, this meant they were looking for submissions. Yeah. You know, they they yeah. were not getting um, the the kind of quality or the um, number of people that they were hoping for. And so I thought, you know, I'm really going to throw some time and attention at this. And okay. this was, did I already say 1997? So it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That's okay. We can but we always make um, a holiday bread. It's a Polish holiday bread called um, kolaches. It's actually not a holiday bread. We make it at holiday time. Okay. Um, and it's a sweet yeast dough. And so I thought, I'm going to start with that family recipe for the sweet yeast dough. But then what else makes something seem holiday-ish to me? Well, I like something that's really visual appealing at the holidays. So what if I braided my bread? I love cranberries. That's a very holiday type of thing to do. I love pecans. Nuts say holiday baking to me. And I just, I don't know, I fiddled around for, for a while with these with these things, sent it in, and it was the same thing. I got the phone call, and she said, to me, um, we have you up on our board. I'm looking at your recipe right now. It's in the $400 
grand prize winner. What? <laughs> so exciting. So the fun thing, and, and with bigger contests too, what that prize money actually is, is they are buying the recipe from you. So, so for example, they own it now. It's not my recipe wow. anymore. So I can't then enter it in another contest. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, I can make it. But um, the fun thing to, to watch with that recipe is that they've reprinted it in several of their cookbooks. And they, oh. don't, they don't give me credit anymore, but it's my recipe. And um, so I try to collect those cookbooks when I see them out and about and I have several and it's just it's just fun um oh, how fun so and do and so what's the title of it so they changed the title when they bought it as well and okay. so I think I called it um braided cranberry braided cranberry bread or something okay. along those lines and they call it like cranberry cranberry with a twist or uh, anyway it's slightly different but okay. um but okay. i know it's it's still my recipe and so that's that's really fun and so if well, you have I, a cookbook with that in i'm happy to sign autographs so. i mean i feel like i'm talking to real uh recipe royalty here published I mean, you started a podcast with the right lady <laughs> i sure did <laughs> well um listeners if you are interested in a baking contest what i would suggest to you is take a look at your state fair if you live in a state that has a state fair they typically have some really amazing contest opportunities. Um, you know, from uh, your canned pickles or vegetables to pies to cakes to biscuits. I mean, depending on the fair that you go to, there's a lot of categories. And then I do recommend that you read the rules very carefully. Um, my own experience being in charge of the pie judging at the Olympia Pie Fest, I have always been so sad if someone comes in and, for example, didn't realize that they had to bake two of the same pie because, mm-hmm. you know, one is for the judges and then another is if they win to auction it off or to sell it. And, okay. you know, so just different um, contests have different rules. Um, you know, another thing is we say, you know, drop off your pies by 10 a.m. and we're going to start the judging at 11. And we have people who run late and they drop their pies off at like 5 till 11 and we go to cut into them and they're not set up yet. And so it's like, it's just soup, you know, and I think to myself, oh my gosh, you know, this is probably a great pie, but I can't, I can't even serve this to the judges. I can't get it out of the pan. Yeah. So planning ahead, reading the rules, you know, doing a couple of test run, letting people try it, give you some feedback. I think um, that's all well worth it if you would like to try and win. Absolutely. And we would love to hear from listeners who have uh, also won and what you've won and um, all of that. That would be really fun to start that thread on Facebook. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Well, Andrea, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we kick off a month of regional desserts from all across the USA. From the Deep South to the Hawaiian Islands, our country is a treasure trove of unique and delicious desserts, and we plan to tackle as many as possible. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review. Both things will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.